Point Church, how you doing this morning? Good, man. We're glad that you're here this morning. A lot, of, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. Listen, I want to begin this morning with kind of a bold prediction. And I'm not one to make predictions from the stage because uh, there's videos rolling, people are watching on Facebook, everything's being recorded, and you'd, you can hold me accountable. So I don't make a lot of predictions because I risk the embarrassment. Uh, but I'm going to go out on a limb on this one, and I'm going to make this prediction. And that is tomorrow, your Facebook feeds, your Instagram apps are going to be full of pictures of kids going to school. Like, it just, just, I know, I'm putting my, my, my neck out in line on that one, but that, that's just my prediction that tomorrow that's going to happen. Uh, Chris already prayed for the beginning of the school year. We're excited about that. I know some uh, students and teachers already returned, uh, but tomorrow everyone else kind of gets back in, in the, the role of, of the general things, and parents are saying, teachers, we're tacking out. <laughs> it's your turn again. Uh, we're excited about the school year. We're excited about a lot of stuff that's happening here, and it really, even as, as the school's kind of uh, kick off and, and, and do their thing. A lot of times that means in, in our church life, we start to get back into our normal kind of process of how we do things, and, and, and we're going to talk a little bit, little bit about that in just a second. Uh, but, but this week, we launch into this brand new series we're calling Question Everything. And, and we, we like this series, we're excited about this series, because we don't think questions are necessarily a bad thing. In fact, the Bible is full of questions. Uh, they're questions that God asks of people, there are questions in the Bible where people ask of, of God. There are questions in the Bible where people ask people questions, and there's even at least one situation where God asks himself a question. See, we're not supposed to shy away from questions. If the Bible's full of questions, we believe that it's important for us to gather together and to say, listen, wherever we're at in, in, in this pursuit of understanding of what our faith is about, uh, for those who come in this morning, and I have no doubt in both services this morning, there are people that are coming in saying, hey, I'm not sure exactly where I stand yet on Jesus and the Bible and all, the, uh, all of those things. And if that's true, it just makes sense that you have questions. Well, well what about this? And how does the Bible fit in with science? And, and all these different things, some of which we're going to talk about. But what about for those who say, man, I've already made that decision to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board. I'm on team Jesus, and I'm, I'm a follower of his. Is it okay for us to have questions? And I believe that, that it is. A lot of people think, well, if, if, if that's where you're at, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have questions, then, then it's a, a crisis of faith. But that's not the case at all. In fact, I believe that following Jesus doesn't eliminate the questions that if, if, if at some point we made a decision to follow Jesus, sure, at the moment, at that moment when we first make the decision, our life is flooded with this peace. And, and literally the Bible says the Spirit of God comes and he lives inside of us. And, and so initially we get by on, on emotion and we think that's really good. And it is. There's this peace. There's this hope that we never experienced before. But at some point we get past just having the emotion. And, and all of a sudden there's questions again. And following Jesus doesn't eliminate those questions. In fact, at times it intensifies them. We think, we think man, I thought when I followed Jesus, everything was going to get easier, but, but all of a sudden things got a little more difficult, and, and I have to figure out now the faith that I say that I claim, how does that fit in? See, last week I wrapped up this series on vision called Jesus and We, and, and in that series I said the early disciples, they didn't have a lot of theological context. They didn't, they didn't know a lot of the Bible and, and all those things. They were fishermen, they were tax collectors. All they knew is this was my life before Jesus. This is how Jesus changed my life, and this is who I am today. 
And I said, for them, that was enough. And, and literally today, that's still the, the greatest thing that we possess. If that's where you're at, if you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, the greatest uh, defense you have of your faith is the way Jesus changes your life. But very early on in this discussion, the disciples start to say, okay, that, that alone is enough, and that, that's enough to share our faith. But what about when people start to come at us with questions? What about when they say, I want you to have a defense of your faith? See, I think there's room for both of these things. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. He says, listen, there's going to be some people that come to you simply because you're living your life differently. If you're doing the first part of this correctly, and by the way, before we get into anything else we talk about, we have to make sure we do that first part correctly. If we're making sure in our life, man, we are honoring Christ as Lord and as holy, then people are going to see our lives just, they're going to see us markedly different. It's not that things are going to always be easier, they're not. In fact, at times, they're going to be more difficult. But when you walk through those difficult seasons, you walk with a different walk. And so because of that, people say, hey, you went through a similar situation that I went through. And when I went through that situation, my life was falling apart. But you, there's this hope. And at some point, they're going to come to you with this question of how do you have that hope? So First Peter says that when people come with that question, because listen, they're going to come to you. They're not going to, if they see you in the neighborhood and you're going through this difficult, traumatic time, they're not going to come and say, hey, I know that so-and-so goes to Ridgepoint Church. Let me go ask their pastor why they still have hope. They're not going to come to me. They're not going to come to somebody else on staff. If someone in your workplace sees you living with hope, they're going to come to you and say, hey, how is it you have this hope? And he says, make sure when people come with those questions that you're ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And to do so with gentleness and respect. So I remember I was working, when I was still in college, I was working at a paint factory, and, and, and there was a guy who was on staff at the paint factory. He'd worked there for a long time, and he was the most outspoken Christian in this group. But the thing was, it was the way that he came across wasn't full of gentleness and respect. And so because of that, he didn't earn the respect of the people that he was doing life with. And, and so here, as, as, as Peter's writing, he's saying, make sure that you do these things, that you're ready to give a defense, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And that if you do that, people are going to see the difference that's in you. And they're going to ask, what is it that makes you different? Where is it that hope comes from? And so the series is predicated upon the idea that we are going to have questions. I'm going to get into some of those questions in just a second. Now, this series is a little bit different. If, if you've been around Ridgepoint Church for any length of time, this series is different on two fronts. Number one, and most importantly, every year about the time that school gets back in, we kick off our fall groups campaign. And, and every fall, we try to do something a little bit different where we take a series that we're talking about in church and, and we continue that discussion on into our groups and so literally this week, all across the Winter Haven, Auburndale, Lake Alford, Polk City, all across this area, 
People are going to be gathering together in homes that are part of Ridgepoint Church, and they're going to be discussing some of the very same things we're going to talk about. They're going to watch a, a right now video that, that we have available to them, and, and they're, going to, they're going to eat together, watch the video, and they're going to discuss the question that we discuss every week in church. And so just a, a final plug about that. Chris will mention this at the end, but a final plug about that. If you're not plugged in the group and you say, I at least want to find out what that's all about, that's what we're going to be doing, launching this week. There's still time for you to sign up to continue that discussion. And the second thing that's a little bit different about this series is that this series is a little bit longer than most series we do. Most series we have last a month or maybe five weeks. Uh, this series lasts seven weeks, and, and we really had a hard time pinning it down to just seven questions we're discussing. But from now till September 23rd, we're going to be talking about seven key questions that we think uh, through study, through talking to individuals, uh, that, that are really important to people as they wrestle with issues of, of God and faith and Christianity and the Bible. And so we're going to detail those questions over the course of the next seven weeks, continuing that discussion in our group. So if you want to find out more information about that, like I said, Chris will be sharing that in just a little bit. One of the things I want to make sure that we're aware of as, as we go into this study is that uh, I think a lot of times what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to, to hide away from the more difficult questions. And we have to be careful that I think that as, as followers of Jesus, we should embrace those difficult questions. At times that means for you and I, even for myself as a pastor, someone comes and says, hey, I got a question. And, and they ask this question, it's a really difficult question. And I say, you know what, that's a great question. Because whenever you're stumped, that's a great comeback. Is <laughs> that, that's a great question. And, and, and then our, our response at times is, you know what, I don't know it all. But let me go back and do some research. And here's where I want us to understand this, because it's not just up, because again, your neighbors, your coworkers, they're not going to be turning to the, the greatest theologian that you know, they're going to be turning to you. And so we want to also be able to give you resources that when you're struggling with some of these topics yourself, or when someone comes to you with a question about one of these topics, that you can say, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I know some places where I can turn or I can start to feed myself in this particular area because, again, the early disciples had just their faith, but the more they started to study the depth of who God was, the more they were preparing themselves to, to have a, a defense of the reason of the hope that was inside of them. That's what we should be doing as well. So I'd encourage you, obviously, it begins with a, a, just a, a greater depth of, of the relationship that you have with God, and that comes through Bible reading, through prayer, through getting to know God, uh, maybe reading some other books about this particular topic. But I shared this earlier, and, and you might not be aware of this, but if you come to Ridgepoint Church, uh, there's this incredible resource called Right Now Media. And just for coming to Ridgepoint Church, we can give you a subscription to that. It basically is, we describe it as the Netflix of Bible studies. Uh, there are so many resources that are out there. I'm amazed every time I open it up, there's more resources that are, that are put in there. And I love just kind of opening up from time to time and seeing what's, what's available. They have a whole section that is called apologetics. And if you're not familiar, familiar with apologetics, all we're going to be doing throughout this series, that's what it is. It's, it's a defense of our faith. And probably the most famous apologetic guy of, of our era is a guy by the name of Ravi Zacharias. And there's a lot of his videos available on right now. And I just love, even though his style is very different from anything we do at Ridgepoint Church, the way he speaks is so powerful and so compelling uh, that, that if you're looking for someone just to, to give that defense, he's incredible in, in the resources that, that he has that, that's available. So 
as we get ready to launch out in this series, and, and we've been studying for this, kind of looking into this uh, for the better part of, of seven months, really. Be, end of last year, we started talking about doing a series like this. At that point, I said, okay, what are the biggest questions that people are facing today? Well, there's a group out of the University of North Carolina. It's a Christian group, but they, they started to do some research on that topic. And they said, what are the biggest questions that people face today about God and the Bible and about the Christian faith? And some of the things they came up with are going to kind of dovetail with what we talk about. Questions like, how do we know that there is a God? How can a good God allow so much suffering? We're going to get into that in a couple weeks. That's a really key question. Uh, how is the Bible reconciled with science? Can the Bible be trusted? What happens after you die? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? And can you really be sure that you're going to heaven? And, and they had a, a, a list of 10 questions, but most of them fell into kind of those categories. And we believe that when we tell people about Jesus, we can't hide away from those tough questions. If someone comes and, and says, well, I know that you believe in Jesus, what does the Bible say about this? And it's one of those tough questions. It's one of those things where we say, hey, you know what, if, if we can sit down and have a conversation, let's have that conversation. And it might mean I got to go back and, and do some research, and, and I might have to go and ask some people to give me some background information on this. By the way, we are not naive. We know that in seven weeks, we can't cover every question that, that everybody has. And I believe we all have questions. And so if there's something that, that in particular, like, man, I wish we'd talk about this, or I wish this is one of those questions that we'd address, feel free at any point during the series, just write it down on a connection card. Uh, it might not come up during the series itself, but it might be I send you an email, or, or we talk about it publicly in a different forum. So if you have questions, you're like, man, I, I've always kind of wondered about this, and, and I've never really had a forum to be able to ask that, we want to be able to answer those in, in a different way. So if you have those questions, those tough questions, uh, write them down. If you want to email them, just you can email them to chris at richpointchurch.org if they're really tough. Um, but, but, but we want to be able to, to have this discussion about what are the, the key questions that people are dealing with. And so we took this list that uh, University of North Carolina had, had, had gathered together, and, and then we said, okay, let's compare that with this group study that we're doing. And a lot of those, those questions did dovetail together. A lot of those questions kind of fed into one another. And, and so some were a little bit different, but we came up with, for us, what are the seven questions that we want to discuss. And so today we're going to get into question number one. And question number one is this, does life have purpose? Questions one and two, next we're going to talk about uh, how to know that there's a God. But, but questions one or two are probably the most foundational questions that we're going to talk about. Uh, really, I think question one leads into question two, but, but these two are foundational. The one I mentioned earlier about how does God allow, a good God allow pain and suffering to happen, uh, I'm going to mention that coming up in the coming weeks. So there's going to be one week we really focus on that. It's a great week because there's a lot of people that have that question. Uh, it's a great week to invite our friends out and say, hey, we're going to tackle this question as a church. We're going to kind of build up to that. But the first two are kind of foundational, especially this first question. Does life have purpose? It's, it's a huge question full of great implications, but it's probably the most foundational question. And so our goal is to lay this foundation and then get into that question. And so the question, does life have purpose, is answered with, with the answer, yes. Okay, we can pray and go home now. Great, that's easy. I wish it was that easy, but it's not because kind of a follow-up to that is, okay, if that's true, if there is purpose to life, then what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? 
It's a question, it really doesn't matter where we fall in the spectrum of, of faith in God and Jesus and all those things. We still at some point, we hit this question. For people who say they're atheist or, or agnostic, they say at still some point though, I ask the question, what's the purpose of life? And for those who are followers of Jesus and who say, even though in my mind I think I have this figured out, there are still days I struggle with this. And what's the purpose? Why is it that you put us here? In fact, it's a question that is probably as old as time itself. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. Uh, the things we know about King Solomon is obviously he's, he's a son of, of King David. He's the king of Israel. Uh, early on, God has said, I, I'm going to give you whatever you want, and Solomon asks for wisdom. And God says, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to bless you with so much more. And, and Solomon had wisdom. He had wealth. He had women. He literally had 700 wives, the Bible says, and 300 concubines, which are women who are not his wife. So when that came up, I questioned his wisdom because that would be very difficult to, to, to live with. But, but, but he had from the outside, from everybody looking in, you think, man, he has it all. He has what every man's ever dreamed of. He has the wealth. He has the wisdom. He has, he has the women. Like, like he's living the dream out. He had gained so much wisdom and influence that even the queen of Sheba says, I want to go and I want to find out about him because his reputation precedes him. And everyone started to know who this guy was. And so it seems like on the outside that he has everything, everything possible going for him. But he writes this book, Ecclesiastes. And in it, it's funny, as you study the book of Ecclesiastes, because everybody who studies this has a different interpretation of, of how it's supposed to be taken. Some look at it and they read, especially the first few chapters, and it seems very depressing. What we're going to read a little bit of today, it seems uh, very depressing and down and, and almost looking at this question, how does life have purpose? And it seems almost to answer the question saying, no, I struggle with that because we're kind of just going through the, the everyday grind that everybody's ever gone through. And that really, even though generations come and go and cultures are different, the grind is really the same. So we pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in the first verse. And it said, the words of the preacher, Solomon at times throughout this, this book refers to himself as the preacher. He says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then he says this, probably the, the key words of this whole book. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is Vanity. All of life is vain. See, I've, I've had all of the stuff. I've, I've lived the dream. Like everything that I thought I wanted, I got. But it's all vanity. Verse 3 says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down. And hastens to the place where it rises again. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. So the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. 
Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So he writes just the introduction to this really incredible book. And he begins by saying there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that's been done before has, is, is being repeated. Everything that we've been pursuing, we've literally been pursuing for thousands of years. Sure, our technologies change. Sure, small things about life might differ from one culture to another. The amount of money, the amount of affluence, the amount of influence that they have. There might be some changes, but in reality, <coughs> the same things that we pursue are the same things that other cultures pursue, are the same things that previous generations have pursued, and when we are gone, future generations will continue to pursue. The sun rises, the sun falls, only to rise again. And we look at that and we're like, man, if, if I'm looking for the purpose of life, Solomon seems, at least at the beginning, to say, I struggle with the purpose of life. I struggle with why I've, I've been created. And, and, and for a lot of us, whether today we claim Jesus or not, we look at that and we say, man, I, I know how that feels. Like I know how it feels when I, when I go through life and, and I and ask the question, does life have purpose? And then I read something like this, and, and we know that Solomon had it all together. He was, by Scripture's account, he was the wisest man that ever lived. And he goes through life and he says, I tried to pursue all of the things in life that I thought I'd want to pursue. You see, there's, if, if, if we're a follower of Jesus this morning, sometimes we say out loud, this is our purpose. We, we've discovered in the last couple of weeks the purpose of, of our church. This is why we exist. And if, we've, if we're healthy, we say as an individual, as, as a family, this is our purpose. And a lot of times in life, we say out loud, this is why we exist as an individual, this is why we exist as a family. These are the things that we consider really, really important. But, because life is just kind of going on and the sun is rising and falling and rising again. The things that we project as our, this is our purpose, change based upon what do we value out of life most right now. What are the things that we consider really, really important? Because at the end of the day, the things that we value drive our purpose. And I can say with my mouth one thing, but the way that I live my life is something entirely different. And so Solomon, even though at times he really, really got the answer to this question right, and we're going to sum it up with his summation where he really does get it right. In the midst of life, because life gets really, really busy, in the midst of life, I say, I know that there's some eternal purpose. I know there's something I should be chasing after. Life has to be more than, for Solomon, life has to be more than wisdom and wealth and women. There has to be something more. And even though we might be more mature to think that life is about the stuff of life, you and I, we have a tendency to fall into the same trap. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but, but how many of us at some point have thought if I just get this, there's going to be satisfaction in my life. And whatever the this is, it changes based upon where we're at in life. For some, it might be a promotion at work, which comes with more money or maybe better benefits. For others, it might be if I just get that relationship that I long for, 
Or if I just get that house or that car, man, if I just had that boat, like I've had my eye on that boat for a while, if I just had that boat, my life would be complete. Now here's the thing, because we've all been there before, and we've done this. We go out and we get whatever the thing is, and we are so proud of that thing. We can't wait to show that thing off because I've worked hard and, and I've wanted to provide it and I finally got this. This was, this was my dream. And we get whatever it is. We get that car, we get that house and we invite our friends over to come see it. And they're not nearly as impressed with our dream as, as we are. And they come and they say, hey, yeah, that's really nice. Can we go have dinner? And it's in those moments that it's like, like we had just a, a moment of them being impressed by us achieving this dream. And then we move on to something else. That's why Solomon writes and says, man, if, if we put our purpose in things, they come and they go. Solomon says, I had it, I have it all. And I'm still finding a purposelessness out of life that doesn't set well with my spirit. And so because of that, he says, there has to be something more than this. He goes on in Ecclesiastes, the next couple of chapters, obviously we don't have time to read this, this whole book, but in the next couple of chapters, he lays out the vanity of things like the end of chapter one, the vanity of, of wisdom. Even though wisdom's a good thing, at the end it doesn't really get us anywhere. Chapter, chapter one, verses 12 through 18. In chapter two, the beginning of chapter two, he says the vanity of, of self-indulgence, getting those things that, that I want and fulfilling my dreams. The end of chapter 2 is, or the middle of chapter 2 is the vanity of living wisely. The end of chapter 2 is the vanity of work. In the middle of chapter 5, he says, even the vanity of wealth. He says, all of these things that I thought would bring satisfaction, that I thought would bring purposefulness to my life, it's all being proven vain. And he says, because of that, all of these things I thought would bring satisfaction, and I could put up the, the vanity of all of my stuff. I pursued these things. I thought if I just got that, and, and here's the thing. Here's why this is so important. See, the whole prediction I did early on in the message wasn't just a cute way to begin the message. But tomorrow we're sending, for those who have kids who aren't, haven't already gone to school, tomorrow we send our kids off to school. And as we send our kids off to school, we want to make sure as good parents we've taken care of them. That man, in the last couple of weeks, we've gone out, bought them new school clothes and, and new shoes and made sure that the list of the teachers sent home, that all of those things have been purchased because we want to make sure that we're good parents. And tomorrow we'll take the pictures and post them on social media because that's what good parents do. And I'm not shaming any of that stuff. I think we should do all of those things. But I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about, I think my parents were really good parents and they probably did all of those things. I don't really remember one pair of shoes my parents bought me for school. Maybe one in, in 13 years. I'm sure they provided all of the school supplies because they're good parents, but I don't really remember that. See, a lot of times the things that we say are important today, the things that we, we put everything aside to make sure we get these things done, they come and they go. And the reality is they're not teaching any values that actually are being instilled they are going to affect us in our future. Because at the end of the day, our values drive our purpose. 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but if, if my kids get involved in sports, I want to make sure that if they're playing soccer, they have the new cleats. If they're playing baseball, they have the, the, the $300 baseball bat. And I want to make sure all those things are taken care of. But in the process, we're not instilling the things that are really valuable. And Solomon says, all of those things are just vain. They come and they go. And the bath that you think they need now, two years from now, is going to be obsolete and you have to do it again. And again, the, guy, the, the, the idea is not to shame because we all do that. But to say, above that are the values that we want to instill to pass on that are way, way more important. Because the values drive our purpose. A good organization figures out early on, what are the things that we value? What are the things that are really, really important? And then we have to allow those values to drive our purpose. Back in 2014, there's a famous company, CVS, that said we have as our main purpose the health of our people because our people are what's important. And so in 2014, they said we've been driven by a value, the health of our people, that this is what drives us. But we've made decisions over here that are not consistent with why we function. They're not consistent with our purpose. And because of that, anything not consistent with our purpose is a distraction. And they said, right now, we're being distracted because of money, which, by the way, any organization wants to make sure they have that too. But they said, we're being driven by money and not by our purpose. And so 2014, CVS said, if our purpose is the health of our people, then we're going to make a very difficult decision that we're going to stop selling cigarettes and any tobacco products. Because we can't say that we value the health of our people as our purpose, and then contribute to them not living this healthy lifestyle. And they did so at the cost of $2 billion a year of profits. But they said our values have to derive our purpose. And if we're distracted from our purpose, then we're going to start to get to a purposelessness about life. Well, the same thing is true about us. At some point, we have to wrestle with this. Solomon, at the very end of what he writes, if we flip over to the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last few verses beginning in verse 9, listen to this. This is so powerful. Solomon says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Hold on to that verse a second. I want us to look at that verse for just a second. If you're a student going to high school or college, this could become your life first right here. The last part says, of making many books, there's no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Go to your teachers and say, listen, all study does is wear me out. <laughs> like the Bible says it right here, so, so let's just stop that right here, right now. But Solomon says, listen, even things like that, like it's important, but, but it's the same thing over and over. And he says this, verse 13. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
He says, I've been pursuing all this stuff in my life. At the, end of, at the end of my day, I realize, verse 13, when all of this has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Another place it says, here's the chief end of man. Here's why we exist, to do justly, to love, work, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. To do those things. And it's not that other things aren't going to happen. They, they are. We're going to have school tomorrow. And, and I'm not saying keep your kids away from school. That would be very unhealthy. But I'm saying that along the way, we can't lose our purpose being distracted by things that are important but that are not, not of chief importance. So Solomon writes, he says, I've done all these things. I've chased purposefulness in my life. But at the end of the day, the idea is that we want to fear God and we want to keep his commands. We want to make sure that we do that because purpose is in the who more than in the what. See, CVS realized that. CVS said, we're being driven right now by financial decisions, and the what seems really important at that moment. But CVS says, as long as we pursue the what, the who gets lost. But purpose is more in the who than it is in the what. Let's pray together. Father, we first of all just want to begin by uh, thanking you for the very idea that we have a purposefulness to our life emanates from this, this grand idea that Jesus loved us enough to die in our place, and that it's ultimately through his death, his burial, and his resurrection that we're given hope, that we're given purpose, and that we're given life. And so, God, I pray that as, as we gather together, I have no doubt that there are people here who are like, man, I'm on team Jesus. I, I get it. I'm a person of faith. And, and even though sometimes I, I wrestle with this question, I get lost in, in the mundane weariness of life. I, I go through the same things because the sun rises and falls, is, falls only to rise again tomorrow. That I get lost in, in the mundaneness of, of life. But that God, with, not just with my mouth, but with my life, I want to pursue the purpose that said we should fear God and keep his commands. That we should do justice, that we should love mercy, and that we should walk humbly with our God. Because God, at the end of the day, that's the only thing that makes life different. That's the only thing that brings true satisfaction in a relationship that begins because of what Jesus did, and it ends because of what Jesus did. God, for those who are already there, help us to rediscover on a daily basis, this is why we live, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And God, I'm also convinced there are some people here this morning that have been chasing purpose in their life, and they've tried to fill it with stuff. They've tried to fill it with maybe a relationship, or, or, or a job, or a promotion, or or, or a car or a house and, and they think if I just get to this level of life that there's going to bring contentment and, and we get to that point and, and we've all been there and we get there and we say now that's not enough we aim for the next thing God teach us true contentment and for the person that doesn't know Jesus today I pray that their purpose is found solely in him to have a relationship with him because that is the reason why he gave his life.
God, give us your purpose. Help us discover for the first time this morning or help us rediscover that purpose. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.